0: Our scripture today comes from the book of Mark. It's actually a, a long piece of scripture, but, uh, but it's all relevant to what I'm going to share today. I'm going to be reading Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, and we'll go through verse 19. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority, authority and to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So if you uh, were just now reading the New Testament for the first time, and you're reading along a chapter a day, and you got through Matthew, and you started Mark, and you went, wait a minute, didn't we just read this? And it's true. You did just read this, kind of. The, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They have four different perspectives on, on what it means to, uh, to witness the life of Jesus Two of them, Matthew and John, actually did witness the life of Jesus. Um, Mark heard the stories from Peter, we believe, and, and Luke probably from Paul, though Paul heard them secondhand as well. But as you read the book of Mark, you recognize that, that uh, Mark seems more like an um, outline than a, than a full story. As a matter of fact, it appears that Matthew and Luke used Mark as an outline. That Mark is, is written, and then Matthew and Luke fill in the blanks. Fill in the it's like It's like Mark is bullet point Jesus, and Matthew and Luke tell the story. John's in this whole different world. I, I like what I heard somebody say recently, that, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us what Jesus said and did. John tells us who Jesus is. I like that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us who Jesus is as well, but, but they're, they're mostly focused on the words and deeds of Jesus, and John is focused on understanding who Jesus is. And so as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get that full story. But when you read Mark, it's like, as you read it, you, you, you'll wear yourself out because Jesus did this, and then he did that, and then he went there, and then he went over there, and then he said this, and then he said that, and then he went there, and then he did this. It's like that throughout the whole book. It's almost exhausting. You have to read it as an outline of his life. And it's fair to say, as you, as you look at all of this, that Jesus packed a whole lot into the three years that most of the scripture are uh, writing about. Three years of his life are the three years of his ministry. And he did a whole lot. And Mark illustrates that with, with this very brief uh, um, story of what all he did. I think it's fair, if you, if you look at the whole of the book of Mark, I think it's fair then to allow Jesus to, to challenge us in a way to ask ourselves the question, what do we do with the time we're given? How much do we pack into our lives for the sake of Christ? I think that God desires that we do a lot with the time that we're giving, given, and so it is fair to ask yourself how you focused what you do on making a difference in the world, on doing the things that Christ created you to do. You know, in the scripture, uh, Jesus uh, tells us, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Or uh, another translation might say, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And, And when he says perfect, he doesn't mean that you're supposed to be perfect people, but rather that you approach the world in perfect love for God and perfect love for people. It's, it's maybe even a higher level to try to attain that sense of perfect love. But it is fair also to ask, how in the world do we do that? I, I, I think another way to, to look at that, be perfect or be holy, is to ask ourselves, how do we get busy as Jesus is busy in, in the context of the book of Mark? How can we be busy in the way that Jesus is busy? Now, I'm gonna share with you um, three things uh, to do, and and as I do, um, some of you are gonna say, you know, I've been a Methodist my whole life, and I've never heard this before. And it's not true. You've heard it several times. You just haven't filed it away. And I don't want in 12 years for somebody come and and preach here and and you say, you know, we never heard that before. So I'm gonna tell you, And you're going to remember it this time. (laughs) It's called the three general rules. When it comes to being Methodist, John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church, gave us three general rules. Like Mark, it's a general outline of how to live the Christian life. Three general rules. And I'll share them real quick what they are. Um, It's first do no harm, and then do all the good you can, and then stay in love with God. Now, Wesley had another term for that, and I'll share that term uh, a little bit later. But those are the three general rules of being a Methodist. And I, as I read this scripture, I read this chapter, I, I realized it kind of aligns pretty well. And so let me show you how I, how I saw that. Um, in the, in the do no harm part, in Mark 3, verses 1 to 6, Jesus encounters a man with a withered hand. And it's on the Sabbath day. Now, the Sabbath day was there was a rule: you don't work on the Sabbath. I mean, it's one of the commandments, right? Keep the Sabbath day, or, or, or observe the Sabbath day, and keep it holy. It means set it apart. That's what holy means: to be set apart, to be different. And and they were rigid, some of them, in their rule following. So much so that you know today, it's um, if you go to Israel and you stay in a hotel that, that is kind of rigid with their, their um, observance of the Hebrew laws, if that hotel is a high-rise from Friday at sundown until Saturday at sundown, which is the Sabbath, those 24 hours, every if you get on the elevator, it will stay stop at every floor. Why? Because pushing a button would be work. I mean, that's how rigid they are at the rules. And, and, and I, you know, I remember uh, the hotel we stayed in, um, uh, they would uh, put the food out on Friday before sundown. And um, if you ate in the restaurant, you ate whatever was out for 24 hours. Because they couldn't have anybody working in the kitchen. That would be against the rules if you stayed in one of the Jewish hotels. So they were really rigid about these rules, no working on the holidays. And and so they're watching, these these rigid rule followers are watching Jesus to see if he's going to heal. Because that would be work, wouldn't it? Eh, for God, probably not, but but it would appear that way, right? That would be work. And Jesus gets angry at them. So angry that, that, I mean, the, the line that he uses there is, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? Which one of those is lawful? And despite the the opposition from the religious leaders, Jesus heals the man, demonstrating his own compassion and commitment to do no harm. If you're in the medical field, you know that the Hippocratic Oath, the first line of it is, first, do no harm. Like Jesus, we're called to prioritize love and mercy over legalism and rules. Our commitment to doing no harm requires that we we cultivate a prayerful reflection on Scripture. Looking at how do we perfectly love somebody within the boundaries of Scripture. But remember, the boundaries are created for us, we're not created for the boundaries. And that's an important difference. So Wesley says, do no harm. And and, and then he goes on to say this about it, by avoiding every kind of evil, especially that which is most generally practiced as, and then he gives us a list, and I'll share some of those um, in a more modern language than he does, because he wrote in the 1700s. First, taking the name of God in vain. Now, why is that a problem? Well, first, it's against the, the, uh, one of the Ten Commandments also. But also, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're out in the public, and you're cursing all the time, and somebody might say, you know, I think I'd like to go to church with that. Uh, never mind. Haven't you ruined your witness? Haven't you damaged the opportunity you have to bring somebody to faith in Christ? Another is, don't fail to take a Sabbath day. And I am the worst at this. I, I don't take time off. I'm, I'm awful at it. I admit it. And, and uh, um, my, my supervisors get on me. The board gets on me. I get it. I also know this. My dad, who never went to church, and he wasn't a faithful man at all. Faith was not a part of his life. Dad had a construction company. And, and you know, sometimes those construction contracts, you get incentives for finishing early. But dad would never let his crew work seven days. Ever. Six days often, but never seven. You know why? Injuries happen at seven days or later. Because your body is worn down, your mind is worn down, and you're less effective. The Sabbath was created for us, not us for the Sabbath. And Wesley recognizes that and encourages that time off. And I'm sure my wife's over there shaking her head. Yeah. The next one he goes through is, uh, nothing ever good came out of excessive drinking. I'll just leave that there. He talks about slaveholding. And, and slaveholding isn't, isn't um, so much a big thing at least in this country today, though we hear stories here and there of of pockets of that happening. um, But but I would say anywhere where, um, where human beings are exploited for the creation of a product is a problem. I think it ought to be a problem for us. Um, so we 've all heard of blood diamonds, right those are diamonds that have been mined um, in uh, there was a time in, in Africa where diamonds were being mined by slaves and and uh, the 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 jewelry um, uh, or all the jewelry uh, people refused to buy those diamonds refused to to count their worth at all because they were done by slaves you know i I've been to Ghana a couple times, Ghana, Africa a couple times. I love that country. I'll go back sometime, I hope. Um, uh, but, you know, they produce, uh, one of their main exports is cocoa. And we know that some of that cocoa is produced with, on, on farms that exploit labor of others. And that's a problem. And that's sad. And that's done with products all over the world. And we should be conscious of what we purchase that we don't... That we don't partake in trade that exploits people. Wesley goes on to talk about fighting and quarreling and brawling. And I recognize today that most fights don't happen with fists, but they happen with words, online. How's your social media feed and your participation in it? He says, do not return evil for evil. Well, the Bible teaches that. And he says, he says stay away from uncharitable and unprofitable conversation. And then he goes on to do this. He says, particularly speaking evil of magistrates or of ministers, which were the political people of the day. I got to repent. Going on. Doing to others as we would, he quotes the golden rule, doing to others as we would have done to us. And I would add the platinum rule. Have you heard this? Somebody developed the platinum rule. It's not just do unto others as we would have them do unto us. The platinum rule is do unto others as they would like to have done to themselves. Try to offer people what they're looking for, not what we're looking for. Moving on, he says, doing what we know is not for the glory of God, such as putting on of gold and costly apparel. I just call it excessive living. Laying up treasure on earth. Just ask yourself, how much is enough? My dad, my dad would say, it's not what you earn, it's what you spend. And I would say, it's not what you save, it's what you give. I, yeah, I do... Our it's tax time again, and I, I started working on it a little bit yesterday. And, and what I know is that um, I don't tithe. I don't give 10%. Nancy and I are more like the 13 to 14%. And I'm just going to lay this out here, folks. This isn't the stewardship sermon, but, but the Bible f- assumes that the tithe is the 10% is the starting point. Generosity happens after that. Let that settle down, settle in for a little bit. Generosity happens after 10%. And then uh, the final thing I just mentioned, he says, uh, any borrowing without the probability of paying or buying goods without the probability of paying for them. Then he moves from do no harm to do all the good that you can. And, and as I read that scripture, Mark 3, 7 to 12, it illustrates Jesus' ministry of healing and delivering those people oppressed by evil spirits. And we might call that today um, uh, people that, are, that experience mental illness or emotional uh, issues today. Uh, you know, we have this vision as a church that, that we are going to um, attend to uh, the, uh, um, the children and youth of our community to seek to transform them, form their lives emotionally and spiritually spiritually. And as we seek to try to do that, I think that's exactly what, what Jesus was talking about in, in, in people who are oppressed by evil spirits. These crowds came to Jesus seeking healing, and he responded with compassion, but also with the power and ability to heal. And then in verse 14, he, he appoints the, the, the 12 to go and, and do healing in his name. As disciples of Christ, we're called to follow in those footsteps, to, to live into those uh, opportunities, to care for those in need. So by doing good, Wesley says, be merciful in any way that you can, taking every opportunity to do so, doing good of every possible sort, as, and as far as possible to all, meaning to all people. Now, here's something interesting. Um, uh, Wesley um, both uh, divides people's soul and their body in conversation about this. He also divides those who are within the body of Christ, those who are in the church community, and those who are outside and I think it's an important division that we make, um, uh, and, and here's why. So to their bodies, he says, um, no matter who they are, by giving food to the hungry, by clothing the naked or visiting and helping those that are sick or in prison, that comes directly out of the Bible, out of Matthew 25. We read that recently in our, in our daily reading. And, and, and to their souls, by instructing, reproving, or exhorting, all we have— You hear that? All we have. That means all the people we have within our community that we're called to call each other into faithfulness, to help each other grow in our faith by all that we have, the people who are inside. Hey, if you're in one of the the small groups that's meeting um, throughout the week, uh, I have a challenge for you. Don't leave today without inviting somebody. And, and I'm going to invite all of you online. We do an 8 p.m. Bible study that I lead online. All you have to do is log in. And if you don't know where, um, it's on our website. But I could also, uh, if you click on the website and look for story, you'll find it. But just find my email and I'll, I'll respond today and, and give you the address to, to link in. Because we want you online as well. We want you into a study as well. Invite people to be a part of your group. Don't have a group? Ask me. I'll help you find one. Or don't have a group that works for you? I'll help you start one. So so he addresses those within the body of Christ, but he also mentions those outside. And, And he doesn't go into depth with this. So here's what I would advise by way of doing good, and that's this. Too often, the Christian church looks at the people who aren't Christian and tries to call them to accountability by our set of rules. It's like jumping into a soccer game and calling three strikes. It makes no sense. Why do we ask people who aren't trying to be Christian to live a Christian life? How about we do this? How about we love them to the point that they wonder why? And they want to enter into fellowship with us. And when they enter into our fellowship, then we can say, look, it might be good for you to be studying Scripture. It might be good for you to to be fellowshipping with other Christians. It might be good for you to stop that one thing that you're doing because it doesn't work for you and it doesn't work for anyone else. We can hold people accountable who have decided to be accountable to to the church But I think we frustrate ourselves and we frustrate the rest of the community when we try to hold them accountable to rules they never agreed to. Instead, invite, take on an attitude of caring invitation, seeking to do no harm, but instead nourish their souls. The final part of that then is stay in love with God. Stay in love with God. Attend upon the ordinances of God is the way that Wesley puts it. Ordinances just, it simply means the ways that God has given us to draw close to him. In Mark 3, 13 to 19, Jesus calls his 12 disciples, marking the beginning of a journey together. And the faith life is a journey together with each other, but a journey with Christ. And Christ has created for us ways to interact with him. As disciples, we're called to stay in love with God by engaging in these practices. And through these practices, we deepen our relationship with God and mature in our own spiritual growth, equipping us for ministry. So the ordinance of God that that Wesley mentions, a few of them, are the public worship of God. Check that off your list. You're here. The ministry of the word, which means take time to read it. And, and to, to gather with others around it and, and to learn from the Scripture. The Supper of the Lord. And we're going to do communion here in a little bit. Family and private prayer. Searching the Scriptures, which is... Oh, I don't have that book. I took it out there. <laughs> which, is, which is seeking ways to personally study. And then fasting or abstinence. And I'm not good at that one. But it is Lent, so we probably ought to do it. Look, we live in a busy world. Your life is busy. Jesus was busy in the, in the book of Mark, so we get busy like Jesus was busy. Get busy in our lives. We, we, too often in our world, we are judged by our utility. What do we contribute? But you know what? We have a judge to please in this life and the life to come. The only judge that really matters is a judge who loves us and cares for us and is desiring a relationship with us. And that judge is the Lord. So choose to busy yourself with things that please that judge. Get busy as Jesus is busy. Amen and amen.